Come now to the Bible, Philippians chapter 2, and we're focusing over the next uh, few Christmas services on this, uh, just this verse 2, but I'm going to read this morning the context, so beginning at verse 1 and then finishing at verse 11, and we'll look at some of that context as well this morning, but we're focused on verse 2. Let's pray. Father, would you feed us by your word, in the name of Jesus, amen. So friends, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth And under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Do please sit down. Well, what a wonderful passage. Let me just remind for you the the announcements that we've already heard and just underlined for you. Again, the opportunities we have at this Christmas season to invite friends and co-workers, colleagues to church, particularly those uh, Christmas Eve services, 4, 8, and 11 o'clock. They are fantastic opportunities uh, to invite friends. Now, this passage uh, is a profound one, and uh, the theme that we're looking at uh, this morning, we'll be looking at the passage in, in different ways over the next, uh, next uh, Christmas Eve services and then next uh, Sunday morning as well. Church on Christmas Sunday. That's good, isn't it? Doesn't happen every year. So that's a good thing. That's my little pitch for coming next week, Sunday morning. Uh, This passage is a profound one. We're thinking particularly about joy. Now, myself being the world's expert on joy, this has been an interesting week of study for me. What does the Bible really have to say about joy? We know that joy in the Bible is more than a matter of temperament. And I've been intrigued by this story that is here in front of us. I say it's a story. Of course, it's very profound theologically, and we'll be thinking about that. But it is also a story, isn't it? A sort of rags-to-riches story. Um, A uh, a zero-to-a-hero, rocky, bouncing back from the ropes, I will survive, blasting in the background, you know, uh, and and that kind of thing. 
Actually, in real life, a, a sort of survival story uh, that I read came from someone called Stephen Callahan, who's one of the very few people to survive more than a month uh, at sea on his own. He was capsized, his ship solo capsized in the storm in the Pacific. And he recounts how he had to make a choice at that moment, whether he was going to give up and die or choose, he puts it, to kick as long as I can. Now, joy. Is joy that sort of thing instead? The more I thought about this passage, the more I have thought maybe it is. Maybe joy is less of an experience, uh, more of something you have to kick to get. Um, now, I don't, you know, obviously comparing Christmas to being shipwrecked in the Pacific is a little unusual. And Christmas joy to that. I don't just mean there's always a single swim choice when it comes to joy. Or you have to say, I choose to be merry as long as I can while you sing another carol service or carol song. But what I mean is that joy is not just a buzz. It's not just a matter of temperament. Not this kind of joy, which, of course, Philippians is famous for uh, advocating. The joy is something different from that. It's a surprise, perhaps why one of the most famous books on joy, C.S. Lewis, is surprised by joy, puts it like that. It's very counterintuitive what Paul was saying here about joy. You see, think about it. Paul is writing from prison, not a place normally conducive to feeling happy. And yet he is. And you get the sense when you read this letter that he's not just putting it on. He's not pretending to be happy in a pious kind of way. It's very remarkable. Uh, Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher and thinker of, uh, of you know, latter uh, yesteryear, uh, once uh, remarked about how prison is such a punishment for people because it gives you time to be alone, to think, to be quiet, to be free from distractions. Now, maybe there's a television set in every prison these days. I don't know. but Nonetheless, the, he said that's what makes prison frightening for some people, that they actually have to think about whether they are happy. I wonder if that's what makes church frightening for you. Church is not full of noise and bustle. It's a moment to think, am I actually happy? (laughs) And so what we find, though, is Paul, though, in that kind of situation, is filled with joy. And he's writing to this church, the church of uh, Philippi, which was a a famous church, a very good church. You can read about it in Acts 16, how it was founded by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Lydia was the first convert, a businesswoman, a dealer in purple cloth. And there was a remarkable conversion of a demon-possessed young girl. And and they were thrown in jail, uh, Paul and Silas. And there was an earthquake and... Then the, whole, the centurion, you know, his jailer was converted. Do you think the Philippians were thinking, this guy is always in prison? You know, here he is again. And so it's a good church. And yet now, 
it's facing some issues, some, as we say, issues, you know, difficulties. Uh, the difficulties, it seems to be, most scholars would say, are partly internal and partly external. The external difficulties were what uh, Paul calls the opponents that they're facing. And he says that they are similar to the ones that he is facing. And that means that most people think that probably these opponents in Philippi were those who are trying to get the Christians to say that Caesar is Lord. And hence this, this well-known hymn, some people think, but this, this well-known poetic theological statement that Jesus is Lord you see and he says don't be frightened by them because Jesus is Lord not Caesar and this is a similar struggle to his because he's in prison in Rome most people think and Philippi was a a Roman colony with lots of citizens uh, of Rome there and they, they were close to Rome in spirit and therefore, the Roman emperor cult that was building up steam now under Nero was, was coming their way. And like Paul, soon they would have to face these opponents saying, Caesar is Lord, you see. So there's that kind of pressure. And then also there seems to be some internal, uh, not division, because Paul mentions Iodia and Syntyche by name later in the letter. So they're still friends. But there's some um, internal um, posturing, one scholar called it. And he seems to be talking about this here when he says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So you have a context then, when you're thinking about joy, when Paul is in prison, and yet rejoicing. And the Philippians are facing some of these things, and yet they're being urged to rejoice. And all that means that joy surprises me. Joy is not what I think it is. It's not what I thought it was coming in when I studied this. I mean, I knew joy was more than a buzz somehow. But what I found here is what Paul seems to be saying and by rooting joy when he says complete my joy in the midst of this um, profound poetic theology of Jesus' incarnation and exaltation. uh, By rooting it here, he seems to be saying that joy, we might say Christmas joy because the incarnation, the nature of Jesus is at the heart of Philippians 2. That Christmas joy is actually the spirit of Christmas, joy. Joy is actually about giving yourself away. Now, I think I'm okay at that, hence I do this kind of thing. But maybe the extent to which my and your joys are completed is actually more related to how much we are giving ourselves away and less to matters of circumstance or temperament than we might think. So let's look at this passage. He's breaking it. I'm going to look at just from mainly from verse 1 through to 5, and I'm going to try and sort of tip my hat to some of the complexities of the theology later, though we won't go into it in detail this morning. Um, mainly those verses, and we're going to emphasize particularly verse 2, and then the phrase, complete my joy. But it seems, uh, it seems that Paul then is saying, complete joy comes from Christmas or incarnational giving yourself away. That's a surprise. Surprise to me. I think, I think it will be a surprise to you as we get into it. So look at verse 1. Here he has, how, how does this happen? Well, first he's saying it's a, a minimal matter. So look at verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any, you get that emphasis? He's going to repeat it again. Any comfort from love, and again, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. 
So it's minimal. Paul Paul is not saying this is something that is for only really great Christians. (laughs) He's asking them to you know, have the same love, to be one in, in their mind, to look after the interests of others, to, to have that kind of thing. So it will complete his joy and, as we will see, theirs too. He's asking them to do that um, because they are Christians. Not because they're fantastic Christians, not because they're mature Christians, not because they've been Christians a long time, not because they're Christians of a particular high standard, but just because they are Christians. If there is any encouragement, any sympathy, you see, any at all. And this is really, again, a surprise, because I would tend to think that joy is the kind of thing that you get. It is a fruit of the Spirit, of course, and I'm sure... More mature Christians have more joy, but it's it's thought to me that joy is the kind of thing that really may be only on offer for those who are particularly mature or particularly holy or particularly special Christians. And Paul isn't saying that. Or, or, or Or I would tend to think this kind of giving yourself away is only for those who are very mature Christians. And Paul doesn't say that. If you're a Christian at all, he says. And of course, the, the, the opposite can be uh, natural and even, even humorous at times. I like the story of the man who was bitten by a dog and got rabies. Not that I like that he got rabies, but I like the story about it. Uh, his doctor told him he only had a day to live, and immediately the man began to scribble some notes on a piece of paper, and the doctor said to him, what are you doing? Are you writing your will? And the man said, no, I'm writing down a list of people that I want to bite before I die. <laughs> You know what life's like. There are people that are hard to get along with. And that does affect our stability, our emotional poise, doesn't it? And so we'll think, well, only if you're really mature can you give yourself away for someone like that. You know, Sintike was reading this and thinking, I'm not sure I can do that for Yodia. And I'm going to have to be really mature before I can do that. Paul's saying, if you've got any participation in the Spirit, that is, if you're a Christian, you can do this. You can give yourself away. And then you can have the fruit of of, of joy that comes from that. Sometimes, you see, people say to themselves, well, I've got to be a very good Christian to do this. And Paul's saying, no, you've just got to be a Christian. Say you go to a restaurant and you order a steak and the waiter comes out and he brings you an omelette and you say, look, I ordered a steak and the waiter looks down at your omelette and says, oh, that's not a very good steak, I agree. And you go, no, it's not a steak at all. And similarly, Paul was saying, it's not an issue of being a good Christian to give yourself away. Of course, there are levels of maturity and sacrifice and all that, but, but to do this of some kind, so the form of the template of joy, what is that? Paul will go on to explain. That shape is Bethlehem and Calvary, but it's Christmas, so we're focusing on Bethlehem, pouring himself out 
right? Giving himself away, let that attitude be yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You, if you are a Christian, have been remade in the shape of Bethlehem. If you've got any encouragement at all, then you can do this. He's not trying to judge them. He's not trying to freak them out. He's not trying to scare them. He's just saying, don't listen to people who say, oh, you know, actually this isn't possible. No, it is possible. You can do it if you've, if you've got the spirit at all because that spirit is the, it's the nature of God. If, you've got, if you're in Christ at all because Jesus who is in you, who you are in, is that Jesus who gave himself, became a little baby at Bethlehem. That's who's in you. You may feel like biting all your enemies. I get that. But actually, you have someone in you who knows what it means to give themselves up for other people. And so you are to to be like that because you can be like that. Because you have the Spirit. Because you do have some encouragement. Because you do have some comfort from His love. I've been fascinated following the obituaries for Steve Jobs. I don't know whether you've been reading any of those. He died in the, a few weeks ago or so. Maybe it was a month now. I forget. I'm getting older. Who knows? And uh, Steve Jobs is obviously a brilliant man, and the things that he produced were astonishing, weren't they? Just really amazing technological achievements and artistically, um, you know, really fa- fantastic. And yet, though he was so brilliant, Steve Jobs still put off the treatment that he needed trying to cure himself by various special diets. I wonder what would have happened if he'd actually listened and gone to get treatment, whether we would be hearing that he was designing the new iPhone 5. And I suppose, so this is a good church, and yet now it's facing some things, not major things, but some things. And if there is a danger of being a part of a brilliant church, it's maybe thinking that, well, maybe I not, not just that I can't, I cannot love this person, that I cannot give myself away to this person, but maybe I don't need to. Maybe I'm beyond that. Maybe I'm so brilliant. You know, it's a church that was founded by the Apostle Paul. You know, Lydia was our first convert, don't you know? You heard the story about the jailer and how he, there was an earthquake and he and all his family were converted. We're that kind of church. And Paul's saying, well, actually, you don't have to be brilliant to do what I'm asking you to do. You just have to be a Christian. So it's, it's a minimal thing. That's a surprise to me. Second surprise I find here about this complete joy is it not, not only is a minimal, but it's also maximal. So look again at verse 2, and this was really strange to me. I I wrestled over this this week. Look at verse 2. It says, complete my joy. Now, maybe you don't um, wrestle with texts like this in the same way I do, but when I looked at that, it just stopped me straight away because he's not saying complete your joy, though, as we will see, it does affect everyone. He's saying complete my joy. And he's not saying, oh, so that I can be a little bit happier. He's saying complete or fulfill, complete my joy. 
That just seems strange to me. It's not what I would expect Paul to have written. You know, if you want to be more joyful, then do this. That's the kind of thing I would, I would have written. But he's saying, complete my joy. Why? Is this just kind of a blip here? Well, I don't think so. Look, look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. There he says, um, can you see it? The Philippians are his, are his, the Philippians, this church, are his joy and crown. So that, that's him looking at them and saying, you're going to make me happy, me joyful. The Philippians are his joy and crown. Now, Paul, of course, knows that joy comes from Christ alone. Famously, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, which is in this letter as well. And, and, and rejoice in the Lord, not in other people. And so Paul knows all that, and yet he's saying the Philippians complete his joy. It's not just here as well, it's elsewhere in the Bible. Uh, other places have the same idea of other people being those that you love so much in the church. The Corinthians are his beloved children for their joy, he says. Uh, John says, calls those he's writing to his little children, and, and all that. There's this. There's this interconnectedness, this mutuality of joy in the Christian church that is a surprise, I think. And and that idea is especially prevalent in Philippians. Uh, If you read it through this afternoon, you'll find that, I think. He, He talks about their giving and receiving. Epaphroditus had been sent by them to help Paul in prison. This is the, the sharing in his troubles, he talks about. And, and he describes how in the first chapter they have a partnership in the gospel. There is this interconnectedness, this interweaving of, of life, of reality. And the reason why I think it's such a surprise for me and perhaps for you is because in our Western mindset... We are so individualistic. We've been so influenced by the Enlightenment heritage, which is good in some ways of rationalism and and, uh, us as an individual, that the the idea of being a body, of being a unit, of the the person who's sitting over there from you actually is going to affect your joy. That just seems weird, strange, and yet it's everywhere in the Bible. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus said. We're branches connected to Jesus the vine. We are one. We, inf- we, we impact each other, also on the matter of joy. Such is the pattern, Paul was saying, of his joys. And such is the pattern of Jesus's, who for the joy set before him, Hebrews, uh, meditating on the same idea of, of Jesus going to the cross that is, that, is, that is here described in Philippians, for the joy set before him, Jesus's joys, Paul's joys, all of our joys rejoicing in the Lord. This is the pattern, the template of joy, Bethlehem, and us in Christ now together. Now, obviously, our joy is fully maximized in heaven, not here. 
And yet there is a sort of 3G, super fast, broadband kind of complete joy that he is talking about here and offering as a maximal joy for those who are Christians, the minimal uh, requirement. So Jesus said similarly, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Same uh, sequence of um, ideas there, full, fullness, completeness. And so Paul wants them to have that complete joy and he wants to have it himself as well. In other words, he's saying, Philippians, when you look at opposition, so for us today, maybe someone wants us to say that something is moral when we know that biblically it is immoral. Uh, Maybe someone today wants us to say that all roads lead to God when we know that, not trying to be exclusive, not trying to divide people, but we know that, that actually in Jesus is the hope for all the years. When we have that kind of opposition externally, when we have people in the church, we think, I just cannot get along with that person anymore. I'm going to go mad. He's saying, well, if you want joy, if you want complete joy, I've got news for you, surprising news. That's when you find it, when you give yourself away like Jesus did at Bethlehem you see the joy of the Lord is your strength that kind of strength that comes from turning back to God Tozer said it's a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do no matter how hard it is than to face the responsibilities of not doing it which I agree with and think is a great quotation and yet I think here Paul is saying not only is it a great deal easier but it's a great deal happier He's saying there's going to be joy. For me, complete my joy. And in the context of Philippians, saying over and over again, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. We're going to look at that text this evening at Christmas communion. Uh, Your joy, our joy, the mutuality of joys, that can be maximal as we give ourselves away. Christmas joy, the spirit of joy comes from Christmas self-giving that's what any Christian can do it's minimal and it's complete it's a maximal thing as well third not only is it minimal maximal there's also a model here so look down at verses three to five you see there that he's he's advising them to well he's not just advising them he's telling them (laughs) here's the apostle Paul do nothing from rivalry or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves let each of you look not only to his own interests, etc., but also the interests of others. And then he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. And then in this next section, he outlines what he means by the mind of Jesus. And these are very profound words, and we don't have time to you know, deal with them in great detail. Let me just... Do it quickly, though, because they are important that we get them right. So the basic point here is that as fully God, Jesus is fully man and died on a cross. He became fully man, died on a cross, and therefore is exalted above every other name. Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. Not many different 
rose to God, Jesus is Lord. Why? Because of Bethlehem and Calvary, you see. That's where it's proven, right? If you want to ask, if you want to answer someone who says, how can you believe that Jesus is the only way to God? You say, I believe it because of Bethlehem and Calvary. That's what Paul is saying. That's why he's Lord, right? And as I say, the details here are complex because there's lots of philosophical associations in uh, particularly Greek philosophy that, that scholars over hundreds of years have wrestled with trying to figure out what Paul means by these words. But actually, if you, if you step back from those philosophical debates, the words themselves are pretty straightforward. So the word for form, uh, the form of God, is actually the word in Greek that Paul would choose to mean the true reality of God. And when he says that equality with God was not something that uh, he considered something to be grasped, again, that's the, the word that he would use to mean that the nature of God is not in selfishness, but in this kind of Bethlehem self-giving. That's who God is. Not, not the dictator, but the crucified one, the Bethlehem one, the baby. That's who God is, you see. Nature of God is not in selfishness, but in giving himself away. Then when he says making himself nothing, now that does not mean that God abandoned any of his divine attributes. No, What it means is that he expressed the divine nature fully in pouring himself out. Uh, One scholar about that phrase put it like this nicely. The real humiliation of the incarnation and the cross is that one who was himself God and who never during the whole process stopped being God could embrace such a vocation, such a calling. Then when you see then the form, the same word again, the form of a servant, that means again that he took on that essential reality. In other words, he was fully God and fully human, even a lowly servant. And the likeness, we've almost finished these words, I just want to get through them, so that, not get through them, but I want to explain them so that then the practical point has the punch that Paul, the appeal that Paul wants it to. The likeness of men means that while Jesus was fully human, he was also fully God. So he is as fully human as another human, and yet unlike any other human, he was also fully God, hence the likeness of men, you see. And again, the human form of verse 8 is emphasizing the human, just as Paul emphasizes the divine. So he's fully God, fully man, given at Bethlehem and Calvary for us, therefore he is Lord. It's proven. You see, that's who God is. You want to know who God is? You look at Bethlehem and Calvary. Now what's the practical point Paul is driving home from these verses? That's verse 5. That's why he goes off in this theological, poetic um, uh, sort of rendition. Verse 5 Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. So, what's that mind? It is self giving, pouring out for the sake of others, Bethlehem and Calvary. That is to be their attitude or mind as well. Why? Because they are in Christ Jesus. We who are Christians follow that model. That's Christmas self-giving. It's being born in a manger. It's leaving the glory of heaven. It's humbling ourselves to serve 
and save others. It's, it's inviting someone to the Christmas Eve service, even if they say no. <laughs> it's forgiving someone in, in church, even if they really, really annoy you. Because <laughs> you've been forgiven. It's saying to someone, yeah, no, you can leave that, and, and I don't have to, because it's giving way to their interests. It's not being a doormat. It is, it is using all the energy of Christ, as it were, in you to, to be a vehicle of Bethlehem and Calvary today for the joy that is set before him and for the joy that is set before you. Minimal, maximal, and then a model. Now, of course, there are temperaments uh, who are just happy, people who have certain temperaments who are just happier than others. Uh, there are people who seem to be happy whatever they do, whether they're in Florida or the Arctic Circle. You know the type. Aren't they annoying? You know, whether they're, they're eating cornflakes or they're eating haute cuisine, their smile is just as big. And, you know, God bless them, they're probably a lot holier than me. Um, there are temperament issues, and there are godliness issues, of course. Uh, But Paul was in prison yet rejoicing. And the point that he's making here is that for any Christian, this is on offer. And the condition is this self-giving. Giving yourself away. Now you may say that you're uh, following God in every way that seems important to you, but you still have little joy. Well, there could be a lot of different reasons for that. I mean, there can be pastoral reasons. There can be psychological reasons. I understand that. I am a pastor. I talk with people about this kind of thing. But have you also considered whether you are following Jesus in the way of Bethlehem? Uh, Commenting on some of the minuscule Old Testament laws God gave to the people of Israel, uh, Andrew Bonar remarked, It's not the importance of the thing, but the majesty of the lawgiver that is to be the standard of obedience. In other words, you may not think that's important, but God does. I I would say that probably few of us find it hard to obey on the matters that we think are important, but what about the ones that God does and we do not? What about those things where someone else wants one way and we want our own way? What about the tough thing of giving up our ego or our reputation to, to go and help someone find Jesus this Christmas? Now, at those times, we look strangely at a tree and a forbidden fruit, and we find out who we are following, God or self. Prepare him room. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. That's what Paul's saying. Let Bethlehem shape you. That's the path to the Christmas spirit of joy. Not just your joy, all of our joys. My joy too. Paul in writing Complete My Joy is saying, if you won't do it for them, at least do it for him. (laughs) The 
interconnectedness of joy. Maybe that person really annoys you, but the apostle, Paul, wouldn't you do it for him? Complete my joy. It's a strange thing, church, isn't it? I've never been shipwrecked, but I've flown some scary airplanes in some former Soviet Union scary places. I've never been thrown in prison, but I have been threatened by a gun. That's a story I could tell you sometime. I've never been beaten, but I've been to some interesting congregational meetings. (laughs) Sometimes you think if they had the 40 lashes minus one, they'd be dealing them out. I didn't leave heaven, but I did leave Cambridge. I too do it for joy. I do it for God, for His glory, but I do it for you. You are my joy and my crown. You see, complete my joy. Stand firm against those who say that Christmas is just another midwinter festival. Ah, Don't be ungracious. Be gentle and kind and have your truth of love, but don't be taken in by the coexist bumper sticker. Our God is the God of Bethlehem and Calvary, not riding on the on, on, on sort of war chariots. Don't be taken in by the pluralism of our day. Stand firm against those opponents. And perhaps even harder, give up your own interests for the interests of the person your Euodia, your Syntyche, that you love but find so annoying. Prepare him room. Be a Bethlehem-shaped person. And that is, be a Christian. Let's pray together. Father, you know that uh, some of us here um, rejoice frequently. Others of us find it hard to do. And maybe there are circumstantial reasons or personality reasons. Father, you also know that uh, this season of the year, many of us have heightened expectations of joy. We expect to be happy. We expect to have our it's a wonderful life moment around the Christmas tree. We expect to be merry in in the right sense. We expect to be happy. Yet sometimes we are not. Father, I pray that you would help us all to find our joys in the spirit of Christmas, the true spirit of Christmas, that is of Bethlehem, that is receiving you, Jesus, and that is being shaped after that template ourselves, giving ourselves away for the joy set before us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.